Oh, hi there. Thanks for pushing play on our podcast. But before we get to it, I have a quick update for you. Regular listeners may know that at the end of our last episode, we promised to talk about cycling in Albuquerque. And we will, just not this episode. We had a scheduling issue with one of our interviews, so instead of keeping you waiting, we're going to share our special live episode all about the importance of journalistic access in New Mexico. Enjoy! Okay. We're going to start this the same way that we always start the shows, uh, but it's not going to have the music, so it's going to be, be uh, really weird and kind of embarrassing for us to do this in front of you guys. But at this point, it's, uh, it's something that we've established that we do every time. So, City on the Edge. 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 Welcome to the City on the Edge live podcast recording here at Dual Brewing in celebration of Sunshine Week. We are joined today with some reporters uh, from the Society of Professional Journalists. Um, Thanks to Marisa DeMarco for putting this together. Thanks to Dual for uh, letting us have this venue today. I mean, they didn't let us have it. They're letting us talk here. It's ours now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If you don't know who we are, uh, I am Ty Bannerman. Um, This is... Oh, Nora Hickey. And Mike Smith. We host a podcast that you can download every two weeks or so. That's what you call an aspirational statement. We uh, <laughs> Two, three weeks, four weeks, something like that. And we are devoted to telling the stories of Albuquerque. All three of us are, uh, are people who love this city and uh, delight in discovering its strange, weird, creepy, beautiful, wonderful, awful mysteries. I would say. That sounds right. Yeah, <laughs> all those things. Um, you can check us out on uh, cityontheedgepodcast.com. You can download us on iTunes. Um, you can find us on Facebook, uh, all under that name, City on the Edge Podcast. So thank you guys so much for coming out today. We're going to have a, a lot of fun, I think. Yeah, we're really excited to talk. <laughs> so thank you all for being here. The guests. Now, one thing that we usually like to do is we, uh, we generally start with a little story about something that is connected to Albuquerque. And um, we've been following Shia LaBeouf's uh, adventures since he decided completely randomly to, to land in our city. Um, Mike or Nora, you want to fill everybody in as to what this is, just in case people were not paying attention to Shia LaBeouf? Okay, so we talked about this extensively in our last yeah. episode, and... You must have all been somewhat aware of this, or maybe it crossed your radar. Uh, just down the street here on the side of the El Rey Theater, Shia LaBeouf, the uh, actor from the Transformers movies and Holes, if you have kids, uh, and uh, what else? Um, Indiana Jones 4, yeah. And um, anyway, he is also like an artistic weirdo, and he did um, a, uh, a project called He Will Not Divide Us, where he put those words up on a wall with a camera, and it was a sort of protest art type thing. He did it in New York and it was taken over by Nazis. And he did it here and uh, gunshots and It vandalism. was shut down by random gunfire. Shut it down. I think it's better than getting taken over by Nazis. Sure. Yeah, I would I take that it's over. Be violence, it's it's random shut violence. Down. Yeah. But so anyway, so the third incarnation was in an anonymous location somewhere. A camera filming a flag with the world, words, he will not divide us. Um, and some hateful internet group off of 4chan, the quote-unquote alt-right, a.k.a. 
just a bunch of assholes. Um, they, uh, they, what, what did they do? They, um, they managed they, to figure out where they, this they flag was down, flying yeah. based yeah. entirely on um, flight patterns, I guess, <clears throat> as to where he could have... Well, uh, it didn't start because they, there had been sightings of, it, of him in Tennessee. Oh, okay. And so then yeah, they kind of used that to narrow it down. They narrowed something. it down to where he could have been, depending on like the way the wind right. was blowing. Which, I mean, the amount of creativity wow. and, and uh, investigative energy for no good reason right. that went right. into this is kind of amazing and pathetic. Then they paid some guy to drive around honking his horn so that they could hear if the horn honking turned up in the video anywhere. Is that right? And, oh, wow. Uh, and then they found it, and then they replaced the, fl- the flag with, like, a Peppy the Frog, you know, oh, flag. Yeah. I mean, it's just, these people are just wastes of space. Amazingly creative <laughs> and persistent <laughs> and totally useless. Oh, man, I'm just so angry that we, like, are not better than this as a species yet. But I thought that that was kind of a, a sad coda to a story that Albuquerque was... Um, very briefly at the center of. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Strange, strange and amazing. The Maybe other thing again. going on yeah. uh, right now is apparently a Los Pollos Hermanos, mm. the fried chicken restaurant from Breaking Bad, has opened in Austin. Yeah, in Austin. Just, uh, just, for, just for South by Southwest, but it, I, I am a little... Uh, it's a little pop-up, yeah. Yeah, kind yeah. of upset about that. I feel like we should have any Los Pollos Hermanos should be here in town. Well, if you go to the Twisters in the South Valley, they do have that mural inside it. Yeah, stuff, and it doesn't actually even sell uh, fried chicken. It gives away free curly fries, which, eh. mm, Man, there's the weirdest like. interview I read online. I didn't mean to cut you off, Nora, I'm sorry. No, no. Okay, there's the weirdest interview uh, online with Giancarlo Esposito where he talks about how... Uh, the, the, film, the show was filmed at Twister's, and Twister's is the best. They have the best fried chicken. What is he talking about? Twister's doesn't have any fried chicken, right? It's like, <laughs> you must have just like eaten at what they had set up for the show and thought it was something real. Maybe he thinks Breaking Bad is real. It's so weird. Maybe he I, that has confused me for years. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. This, uh, this is uh, the kickoff for a special week nationwide. Um, this is Sunshine Week. Are you guys familiar with that? Uh, not really, please. Not Tell really. us more. Okay. <laughs> Sunshine Week is a national initiative spearheaded by the American Society of News Editors to educate the public about the importance of open government and the dangers of excessive and unnecessary secrecy. Mm. And I think right now, uh, nationally, this is a major concern. I mean, I suppose it's always a major concern. But uh, right now, it seems like that's been highlighted. But there are many people, um, journalists in New Mexico, who have been dealing with these issues for... Years, decades even, and we are lucky enough to have uh, several, several of them here today. Are they going to come up and discuss uh, this, um, this fight for open access to the government and how it's manifested itself in New Mexico and how it has played out in some stories that you might have heard, heard of? Um, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, let's just um, call them up here one by one. I'll read your, read your bio and uh, come grab a seat. You guys and have you to vacate the seat. Oh, really? Yeah, we're going to be sharing the mics over we're here. Oh, okay. That's what's going on? Yeah, so you guys come on right. over here. So uh, first of all, I'd like to, uh, to welcome Julie Ann Grimm. She has served Thank you. as editor of the Santa Fe Reporter since mid-2013. She became its publisher in 2016 a 2001 graduate of the Journalism School at the University of Missouri-Columbia. She covered the city hall and regional government at the Santa Fe New Mexican for 10 years and also spent several years at the Associated Press New Mexico Bureau. 
She is a founding member of the Rio Grande chapter of the Society for Professional Journalists and has served as its past president and coordinator for the regional conference in Santa Fe. Thank you for joining us here today, Julie. Thank you for having me. Uh, next, we have Jeff Proctor. Come on up. Jeff is an investigative reporter covering criminal justice issues for New Mexico in depth and a contributing editor for the Santa Fe Reporter. Jeff's work has received numerous local, state, and regional awards, including the William S. Dixon First Amendment Freedom Award from the New Mexico Foundation for Open Government for Advancing Transparency in the State. Jeff is a member of the local SPJ chapter's Freedom of Information Committee and has been a board member since 2013. Thank you for joining us today, Jeff. It's nice to be with you. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you. You guys all have to say something into the microphone so I can tell that it's actually on. So thank you for doing that. Um, and Laura Paskus, come on up, please. She is president of the Rio Grande chapter of the Society of Professional Journalists and currently works as the environmental reporter at the New Mexico Political Report. Uh, she hates the third person thing, but um, here we are, third personing it up. Um, she has been a reporter since 2002 and considers herself a muckraker and public servant. Thank you for joining us today as well. Thanks for having me. Uh-oh. We, we might need to turn that one on. Is the uh, switch on top there on? The top switch? There we go. Try, let's try that again. Hi. Okay, there we go. Hi, Laura. <laughs> And uh, finally, Joey Peters, please join us up here. Thank you. Joey has been a journalist for nearly a decade. Most recently, his reporting in New Mexico on closed government policies has earned several accolades. Uh, he has also worked as a reporter in Washington, D.C. and the Twin Cities. And I guess, uh, I'm sorry, you guys um, are probably going to have to share that microphone. Please don't take it as any sort of slight. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Okay, great. Um, so thank you guys so much for coming out here today. I really appreciate it. Um, I thought we'd start with one of the most basic questions of all. What does open government mean? Don't everybody talk at once. <laughs> Why don't you take a stab at that one? We need a buzzer. A buzzer. Yeah, I'm sorry. You guys all lose three points. I mean, I think it's a basic concept. It's that we, um, the people that the government represents, want to be able to uh, be aware of what the government is doing in our name. And so in order for that to work, we need an open government, which means you can observe all of their processes and learn about all the information that's available that led to the decisions that were made and to in some way hold people accountable so that the government is doing what we want in our name. And how does, uh, how does New Mexico rate um, in terms of open government? Uh, let's go with the state level. Pretty bad. So this is Joey. Hi, Joey. <laughs> Pretty bad. Why is that? Well, the, for the most part, the public information officers, and these are staffers who um, are hired basically to communicate information to the public, for the most part, they're terrible. And... Um, other folks in state government with other positions are, yeah, I think generally told not to communicate with press. I think the official line is only communicate to the press as a private citizen and not for the state, but I think that gets uh, uh, enforced more heavily uh, just to not talk to the press. 
I think I think I would add um, we actually have good laws in New Mexico in terms of the public's access to uh, government records and to government meetings. The problem um, increasingly uh, during the course of the past two gubernatorial administrations and the past two mayoral administrations in the city of Albuquerque is compliance um, with those really good laws. We've often been um, forced into the position where we've had to uh, file lawsuits uh, to get uh, access to public records. Um, pretty much everybody at this table has been involved in one form of litigation or another, which frankly is a, a massive distraction for journalists. Mm -hmm. Really what we want to do is uh, tell people uh, the stories about how their government works um, and having to litigate to be able to tell those stories um, detracts from uh, the time we get to, to spend on telling those stories. And I think what's really unfortunate about that outcome too is that we are, uh, in essence, we're suing the government. So we're suing ourselves. We're using taxpayer money to force the government to comply with the law. And so that's inherently problematic and, and a waste of time. And we wish we didn't have to do it. So this is Laura. I'm going to take it like back a step for a second. So like tell me, give me an idea of a story that you think you would like to, like an issue involving state government that you might want to know something more about. I have a really specific one. Yeah. And this is, I, I was actually wanting to ask you all about this at one point. Um, so for a specific project, I was reading a lot of small town newspapers in New Mexico. I was reading just all of them basically, going to the libraries and reading through this stuff. And um, I remember reading about uh, Los Cetas drug cartel using the Rio Doso Downs in Rio Doso to potentially launder money. Like that was, that was a story that I was interested by. And then about a week later in a Rio Doso paper, they were, there was a picture of Susanna Martinez down there like fundraising through the Downs. And I was like, well, is there a connection to this? And how would I research this without getting murdered? Right, so basically like, <laughs> like let's, so we'll set aside the cartel for okay. a second, but right. you're like, okay, so And the murder. Yeah, well, maybe. So, so basically like if, you, if you're a journalist, you're gonna be like, okay, the people I need to talk to include the office of the governor, um, whoever runs Rudoso Downs or whatever. So you're a journalist and you're like, oh, okay, I'll start. I look at their website, um, look at who's on their staff, pick up the phone and start calling staff members. And this is what you're gonna get. I can't talk to you. And then so you're like, well, okay, they'll, they'll say, you have to talk to your public information officer like Joey was talking about. So you look up who's the public information officer, you call that person, you leave them 5,000 voicemails and text messages and emails, and they never call you back. And so then you're kind of, you're left to be like, okay, so what documents might be publicly available through the money that I paid as a taxpayer to support this government entity? And then you're like, oh, shoot, those documents aren't available online, so I have to file an Inspection of Public Records Act request. And then that, they give themselves an extension to say, hey, this is broad and burdensome. And so you're just left twiddling your thumbs like, <laughs> I, I think there's a story here. And so that's kind of, we do have these great laws. We do pay our taxes. There are these people called public information officers who generally, and most state agencies I can think of, like basically don't, they consider, the, they appear to consider themselves as guardians of information versus like, hey, here's the public information I wanna share with you. Here's another thing about the governor maybe appearing at the Rio Doso Downs. <laughs> if she's there, 
And she considers her appearance to be a political visit rather than doing the business of the government. She's not even going to tell you that she's going there. The calendar that she makes available to the public and that her attorneys are very proud of only includes information about uh, appearances that she deems to be public. So if she's talking about tourism or like a little business opening in Roswell, then you'll know about it, but otherwise probably not. We've sued her for her calendar. And correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but on these um, political events, she brings uh, um, state police officers, uh, you know, with, to guard her um, on the public dime. So I think that in itself, it's state taxpayer dollars that are going into these people's salaries uh, to go to these events with her. Um, that alone, right there, I think, proves that it should be public. Well, and if she's not in the state of New Mexico, she's not technically the governor for that moment. So like this little knee injury on the ski slopes in Utah, there's nothing on the website on the calendar that indicates that she was out of the state. Um, so she could have, like, falled and cracked her head open, and we wouldn't know because they don't have to tell us. What if she's just eating pizza with her sister? Quietly in the hotel room, not bothering anybody. That was a state taxpayer-sponsored party, too. Uh, they used a and coke. No, no one was throwing any snow bottles, though. I'll say that, that was like six hours ago. <laughs> if if it happened at all. I was trying to make a little Caesars joke that I hope they got little Caesars because those are cheap pizzas. Pizza, pizza. So um, can you guys give me an example of a time that uh, one of these uh, cases that you've had to litigate, something that you know, w- would have been very much in the public interest to know about that you've had trouble uh, getting the information for? Sure. I, maybe it's best to kind of take two of them. I think it's important uh, to get a plug-in for the trial that's getting ready to start at the end of the month. That's the Santa Fe reporter's lawsuit um, against the governor, which I'm going to let Julianne take, but I'll talk about another um, instance in which another board member and I, when we were working at one of the television stations here in town, we sued uh, the city of Albuquerque and the Albuquerque Police Department for a um, host of violations of the of the state's public records law. I think we had 17 or 18 um, individual instances where they had completely ignored our records requests, gone way past the deadlines. Um, told us that records didn't exist that we did know existed. Um, And in that case, we were ultimately able to get a lot of the records that we were after. Um, But I'll I'll just say, in that particular instance, uh, the news organization sort of ultimately decided that they didn't want to go all the way to the wall for the journalists um, and make sure that we got what we had coming to us and and got paid uh, the damages that were owed Uh, to the news organization. So they settled that case um, without us being able to get all of the public records we'd asked for um, and really without um, any recognition from the city that they'd broken the law. So that's like settled without compliance, basically? Like they they did not follow through with what they needed to do, but the lawsuit ended. Yes, they, they came pretty close to giving us everything we'd asked for. And again, it's important to remember, I think for listeners of your podcast, that there's not a tremendous amount of incentive from the government to comply. 
because uh, really the only recourse we have is money damages, and it's not the mayor's money. It's not the governor's money. It's your money that they pay in damages. So like Julianne was saying a moment ago, we're using taxpayer money to sue for our own taxpayer money. So it's sort of no skin off their teeth um, to have to pay damages. It's not their money. What, what changes could we make on a, like a system-wide level to lessen that sort of thing, to make it, to make it easier for us to have better access and hold them more accountable? Well, for one thing, the open records law says that the government entities, and this is everybody from the Mutual Domestic Water Board all the way up to the state legislature and the governor's office, it says they're supposed to give you the documents immediately or as soon as practical or within three days. And then they have 15 days to, um, if it's a little more complicated, to let you know um, that the records are coming and they're supposed to give them to you within 15 days. Um, but what happens is that these agencies, like Laura mentioned earlier, they give themselves extensions. So every 15 days you get a letter from them that says, we need 15 more days, or sometimes it says we need another month or another two months. So like the lawsuit that the Santa Fe reporter has brought against the governor's office, there's one example where it took them 87 days to give us a record, a record that they probably produced for another media outlet that day, um, a record that should have been easy to grab and make a photocopy of or send an email of. Um, so I think that the public understanding the law and holding the officials accountable rather than just all of the journalists screaming and suing all the time, um, I think that would help, but really it's as simple as people following the law. Okay. So in that case, is that like the governor giving the finger to, you know, the Santa Fe reporter? Hmm. <laughs> Actually, let's take a moment and talk about what is going on there. So, so tell me about this lawsuit, Julianne. So the lawsuit has two parts, and one of them really is about the governor giving the finger to the Santa Fe reporter. And this is when Joey um, was one of the reporters there, and um, the reporter had done some work that really called the governor out on her behavior and um, uh, hinted at corruption that was probably going on. And she didn't really like it. And um, after this series of stories ran, she began to really shut down um, every request that the paper made. Including IPRAs. Like, yeah. Not just, hey, oh, what do you think about this? But also the, these documents that you know, are, are specially defined in the law. Um, they don't get to decide they don't like you and therefore they're not gonna give you the piece of paper, but that's really what they did. So in addition to saying they violated the um, Inspection of Public Records Act, we also say that they violated the free press clause of the state constitution um, by not responding to um, our inquiries and not um, treating us like, a, like the journalists, the hardworking journalists we are. How long has this been going on? Uh, the lawsuit specifically. Three and a half years. <laughs> and we go to court. Um, we have a three-day trial scheduled that starts on March 29th. And um, we fully expect there will be appeals either way. So it will go on for another... Three and a half years. <laughs> Thanks, Joey. That's criminal. I can't believe that. Uh, I just wanted one thing I'd like to say about all this too. Part of the the basis for the reporter's lawsuit, it's a it, at the heart of the whole thing is this concept of viewpoint discrimination, um, and and ultimately the the more simple way to to talk about that um, is is really a, a sort of a reporter's blacklist type of a thing. 
They shut down on the reporter uh, in terms of the public records law and in terms of answering questions about basic information because they didn't like the newspaper's coverage. So when you start thinking about what's happening nationally right now and, and certain news organizations are allowed into these press briefings and others are not, um, the White House responds to some news organizations and not to others, this is something that we've been dealing with for a long time in New Mexico and the city of Albuquerque um, and, and around the state really with state government. Pretty much everybody who's at the table right now and most of the journalists in this room have been on a, a blacklist of, of one form or another. And ultimately what that gets at is, I mean, it, it is our job to, to function um, as an adversarial check on, uh, on government power. Um, and when, when the government just decides that they don't want to be checked in that way and they would rather just cooperate uh, with news organizations who pretty much fluff them, um, that's when we start to run into trouble uh, and, and you start in, in, ending up in a situation where um, you don't have news anymore, you just simply have uh, repeating versus reporting. And that's, that's state propaganda, that's not journalism. Is this a trend that, um, was this going on at the state level across the country that, and now manifesting itself uh, at the federal level? Is this, because it kind of seems like that might have been the trajectory of this sort of... It could be, but the first time I experienced it was here. Um, yeah, the places I had reported at before, it wasn't like this. And so it was kind of a surprise and kind of a shock. And I'm sure it's happened in other local areas. And if it's a trajectory, uh, onto the national level, that's a very disturbing trend, if that's the case. How do most reporters respond to this? I mean, you know, there's so, there seem to be media outlets that, for the most part, uh, strike a very uh, uncritical tone, um, and I imagine that's in exchange for access, you know, the journal or some of the, um, the big TV stations here or something like that. How do you walk that line where you do want access but you also want to be able to actually report true things. Like, I think kind of what Jeff mentioned earlier about repeating versus reporting. Like if you're the type of reporter and it's um, important for you to maintain your access because you're accustomed to uh, having certain stories that say, you know, that the governor was reading to children at a particular elementary school and that serves your readership and that's the kind of reporting you need to do. But I think like the reporting that we do and probably everybody in this room does is that sort of um, trying to find out what's going on, how money's being spent, um, how decisions are made, all those different things. And so it's not like I don't need a statement from the governor for my story, but I need access to the information her office holds. And so with respect to the other states, like I have friends who are environment reporters in, in other states and I'll like slap something up on Facebook about the lack of access we have here and reporters who do the same exact kind of work I do in Wyoming and Colorado and Oregon are shocked. They're like, that would never happen. Like you can, like here you can, like I cannot call somebody up at the environment department and just be like, hey, can you explain to me how this permit works? It's crazy stupid. So I'd like to, sorry, Mike. I'm <laughs> just going to stick my face in front of you. Uh, so Laura, you do a lot of reporting on, on environmental issues. Can you talk about how uh, this kind of um, lack of access has impacted your reporting 
in New Mexico specifically? Yeah, well, like for like a recent example that's just so ridiculous is um, the Environment Department has sent a letter to the city manager at the village of Santa Clara saying, we, uh, yeah, you had this grant and we owe you a hundred and something thousand dollars, but we don't have that money anymore and so we're not going to reimburse you. And obviously, like, they freaked out. Um, and I called the Environment Department to their public information officer to ask her, you know, how did this happen? What's the problem? Is it an EPA thing? Is it a legislative thing? Like, what happened to that money? And she wouldn't respond. I even emailed her asking her what happened. She wouldn't respond. So finally, I had to file an Inspection of Public Records Act request, which the department gave themselves an extension on. And when I called and was like, hey, how come this is broad and burdensome? They're like, well, there's over 500 emails. And, and I even like said in my IPRA request, like this could be cleared up in a five or 10 minute phone conversation. We don't need to go through this whole process. So eventually they released more than 800 emails to me, which I spent most of the day on Friday reading through and like found the exact answer to my question that they could have just answered on the phone. And now it's like weeks and weeks later, it doesn't even matter no. anymore. What is, what is an IPRA? This is the... I don't think we've defined that term yet. Uh, what is an IPRA request? Oh, sorry. That's Inspection of Public Records Act request. We like to make words out of other <laughs> words. That's fun. Just the first letter. <laughs> Are there any steps currently being taken to kind of ensure free and open access to this, the kind of records that we're talking about? Anything that will change how this, these kind of requests are being dealt with? To the contrary, actually. There are a number of bills that are working their way through the legislature right now um, that would weaken the uh, open access and transparency laws in the state of New Mexico. And it's important to say that this is a bipartisan effort. It doesn't really matter what letter you have uh, after your name. There are, we're, we're tracking as a chapter, um, I don't know what it is, eight or ten bills right now um, that would uh, that that would further limit the public's access um, to to records and to meetings and to certain information that goes in records. So no, there there is no um, effort, uh, at least at the government level, um, to uh, to strengthen the laws. In fact, they're going in the opposite direction. So the effort to strengthen the laws is coming from over here. And I think it's I think it's important to mention too that. You know, we're, we're not trying to get this information and write these stories. I mean, as much as I'd like my colleagues here at the table, I'm not writing stories, um, you know, to, to please or interest Julianne or Laura or Joey. We, we're, we work as a stand-in for the public. That's our job. That, that, that's ultimately what it is we're doing here. And if the public wants to see what the governor has to say, unadulterated about her energy plan, for example, well, they can go to her Facebook page or her YouTube page or her Twitter account and see those things. The world has sort of changed. You know, Politicians now feel like they can uh, uh, communicate directly with their constituents without pesky people like us asking questions um, and trying to get at the truth through those channels. So what we're trying to do is give um, what we like to refer to as the best available version of the truth on a particular issue or a particular happening. And we're doing that um, because ultimately government is us. And, and we're doing those stories on behalf of our readers and our viewers and our listeners, not just because 
you know, this is a good time for us to report on um, the ugly stuff that's happening in government. What is the rationale for, for uh, weakening these laws? I, I'm just curious, as how, how is this pitched? How is this framed? Protecting state employees. <laughs> well, no, like, like in Las Cruces, um, yeah, the, the New Mexico State University didn't want applications for jobs at their university public. Um, and so they're using the rationale of, oh, we need to protect the people who are applying because maybe their current job doesn't want to know that they're um, applying for other jobs. And maybe if that's made public, they'll get fired. That's the kind of rationale they're using. I think it's BS. But. And there are some reasons that are written into the State Inspection of Public Records Act that explain instances where the government is allowed to keep documents a secret. Um, but what we often find is that those reasons are abused and interpreted in a really broad way. Ongoing investigation is one of the most abused provisions of an exemption to IPRA. Oh, we're the police. We can't tell you what we did in X, Y, and Z circumstance because there's still an open investigation. Um, and they will pull that on you for years and years when there likely is no investigation actually going on. I have to ask, are there any happy stories? Like... <laughs> Is there any? You've got the wrong bunch. Uh. <laughs> well, the state public records law is still one of the strongest in the nation. So we're, we got a better public records law than most states here. So that's kind of happy. There it is. That's the happy news. Well, I guess the happy news is that sometimes you are able to leverage the law to get documents that help you tell a story. Um, it's not usually a happy story, though. Um, you know, in uh, Santa Fe, for example, we had a reporter who pulled a database of people who were arrested on small-time marijuana charges after the city of Albuquerque, I'm sorry, the city of Santa Fe, decriminalized marijuana. And we found that people who were getting arrested for marijuana were living in certain parts of the city and we're not really able to make conclusions about their you know, demographic characteristics, but we can make assumptions that the police are still selectively enforcing this law like, when they feel like it. We wouldn't know that if we hadn't been able to access all those records and look at each arrest. Um, I, this isn't a happy story, because I just don't have any of those. <laughs> but uh, I, I, I do want to say, though, also that in part of our chapter's theme for Sunshine Week this year, um, is, is, is talking about the work of journalism even when we get the door slammed on our in our face. Um, this, this idea that, and if you take it way back, uh, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein did not report Watergate from the White House briefing room. They reported that story from parking garages and people's living rooms and from the city desk at the Washington Post. So that's, that's a common theme that you'll find uh, with a lot of the journalists in this room, regardless of how many times we get the door slammed in our face or told that we're not allowed to come to a press conference or um, we have a spokes liar who doesn't return our telephone calls or they deny our public records requests, we, we, we go for workarounds. We go and try to find the people who are impacted by government policy and tell the story from their perspective. Because again, um, that's really what our job 
ultimately is all about. So we're trying to highlight that kind of work uh, that members of our chapter and journalists in this state uh, have done over the course of the past several years, despite um, not having access to the things we should have access to. So can you guys uh, tell us about some stories that have come out despite a governmental resistance to giving you guys access to records and that sort of thing? <laughs> Go ahead, Joey. Let's let's talk to Joey here. Okay. <laughs> Everyone's Joey. looking at you. So. I just gotta gather my thoughts. <laughs> um, well, years ago, when I was at the Reporter, I did cover uh, some per diem abuse at the Department of Health. Uh, basically, some of the upper administrators. One of them was driving from Roswell to Santa Fe and staying in a hotel. Uh, during the work week and charging that Can you on. say his name? Um, who was it again? McGrath? Wasn't it? Brad McGrath? No, I thought it was that. Oh, never mind. It's not who I thought. It was, <laughs> it was a few years ago. <laughs> I wasn't trying to stump you, Joey. Although, <laughs> the, I had some of those documents leaked because he was charging this on top of his salary. Um, and his salary was like over 100000 So why, why was he staying in the hotel? Because he lives in Roswell, but he was driving to Santa Fe where he worked, uh, and he was charging that drive and charging each hotel night uh, during the work week on top of his, you know, salary. Um, and there are some other folks at Department of Health doing that. And I mean, I, I you know, I, I had some of the documents leaked, and I did an IPRA with DOH on all of that per diem information. They kept delaying, delaying, delaying. Once I let them know that I already had documents and was going to go with the story, they just gave me gave it all that day. Um, I don't know if that's like because I wouldn't have got that if I didn't have some of the documents leaked potentially. Right. So, um, so you had to you had to go through workaround channels basically. Yeah, right? there are other times um, when I feel like an agency is not following IPRA. I'll let them know that I think they're violating IPRA and I'm, I'm going to uh, file a complaint with the Attorney General. Wouldn't it be great if you did something about it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but sometimes that works uh, with the agency. And I guess I shouldn't be saying that out loud because they might know that. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> well, um, I was thinking of when Laura did that story about the guy who sued the Interstate Stream yeah, Commission, right. Norm Gom, and the the um, state was just basically like, no, you can take the long walk. We're not giving you these documents. And then Senator Heinrich read our story, read Laura's story, and uh, lo and behold, the documents made their way to the requester. Yeah. There was another one where the Department of Homeland Security, um, there was like a small business owner who had gotten a FEMA contract and the, the, the way that works is the federal money, the FEMA money comes to the state and then the state is supposed to distribute it to the people who do the cleanup work and the state is just hanging on to like 30 or 40 million dollars, like not passing it on to the contractors. Yeah, so this poor guy, like he had done the work a year and a half earlier and um, still hadn't gotten paid his business was going to go under. What kind of work are we talking about? He had done, he was like a contractor and he had done some cleanup from flood damage at Powake Reservoir. Okay. And so, um, yeah, his business was about to go under and I just kept harassing that agency to get their 
audit information and their funding information and was able to show like, yeah, they have all this money that they're not passing through. So they had the 30 or $40 million, yeah. but they were not giving it to the man who actually had already done the work. Yeah, and after we did that story, I did it with KUNM and Santa Fe Reporter, like a joint story, and after that, the guy got paid a couple... Like oh, 10 days later. So he did get paid. So, <laughs> he did. But he wouldn't have gotten paid. Right, exactly. Yeah. So It was through agitation that it was made right, basically. Yeah, right? and it was public records to like be able to... Because nobody from DHS would talk to me, so it was you know filing those public records to see like why, does, why are there 8,000 invoices from this guy and no checks. And oddly enough, it was Martin Heinrich who stepped in in that instance, too. Yeah. And so... Um, seeing the Congress people from our region look at our local journalism and try to step in and fix things, mm -hmm. I mean, in a way, that's really great, but that it has to get to that level that like they're only going to do it if the congressman calls. Yeah, right. um, I, I want to I put in a plug for the value of leaks um, at this time and, and, to, <laughs> and, and, and to, you know, just... Talk, talk about that as a, as a tool that, that we often use, and just to put it in perspective for you, we did a story um, last year at, at, the, at the Santa Fe Reporter and at New Mexico in depth uh, about a police shooting case up in Santa Fe. A young woman named Jeanette Anaya was shot and killed by the police in Santa Fe, and we'd been looking, there were very suspicious circumstances uh, sort of surrounding that particular police shooting, uh, and there were suspicious circumstances around the way uh, the officer who shot her had been cleared through the, through the legal process. And we were just looking and looking for a way to sort of get at and tell that story. Lots of doors shut in our face and all the rest. And ultimately what happened is we were leaked a copy of the transcript from the grand jury proceeding. Um, and and it, was a, it was a fascinating document to behold. In addition to further understanding some of the particulars about the shooting that never made sense to us, what we learned was that the process itself was completely and totally rigged. Uh, the grand jury did not, for example, have uh, the power to indict the officer, even if it had wanted to. One of the grand jurors uh, was incredibly confused about what he was even doing in the room. He asked the district attorney, um, so if there's no target of this, what are we doing here? And so that leaked document gave us the occasion uh, to write a story, uh, not just about the particulars of that shooting, uh, but about the process more broadly. And ultimately what happened is Santa Fe no longer uses this incredibly rigged, loaded process that is designed to clear, to clear a police officer regardless of the circumstances of the shooting. And none of that happens unless a really brave individual stands up uh, and puts him or herself at grave risk mm -hmm. to hand a, a secret grand jury proceeding transcript to a journalist so that we can write stories about that. So that's, that's, that's one of the things that is absolutely vital to the work of investigative reporting, especially now that we're in this climate at the state level, the city level, and nationally, where we don't have the kind of access the law says we're supposed to have, we really need people to leak to us. Um, I'm curious, in that same vein, do sources come to you or email you either related to a story that you've already published or totally new info, and then you have to discern if it's fake or, you know, sort of a wild goose chase or it really matters? 
Yeah. I think anytime we get information, we're turning around and trying to um, make sure that it's authentic. You know, if you get something that looks like a transcript of a grand jury proceeding, you're going to do everything you can to make sure that it really is a transcript of a grand jury proceeding. If someone calls you and says, you know, my name's Harvey Mushman and I want to talk to you about a story, you, you know, you have to say, look, I'm not going to use your name, but you need to tell me who you are so that I can be sure that what you're saying um, has merit and is true. Um, Jeff, you kind of answered this with your, your your victory that you discussed there. But like, how do you how do you see this sort of deep corruption and not just get totally cynical that you want to oh. to the point that you want to give up? You know, I mean, it, it's just really like brutal. Like when you just hear story after story of the government basically in the state and on a federal level, of course, but uh, just doing whatever the hell they want and, and then shutting down every uh, channel of inquiry and finding out what's going on. Uh, the, uh, how do you well, do Well, I mean, I, we're still that? a free society, and I just read a book about the Soviet Union, and it was a lot worse. Well, that's, that's good. <laughs> that's sort of a low bar Joey's going for. <laughs> Not as bad as Stalinist Russia. <laughs> I mean, journalists are ornery. We don't really stop when you tell us to stop. You know, hoist the flag, wave a sword. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, so the, I guess to, to answer the question, I, I am incredibly cynical. I, you know, like if, if your mother says she loves you, check it out. Right. Uh, but uh, does that make me want to give up? Absolutely right. not. Oh, and I mean, good. part of what matters, I think, too, is to have a community of other people yeah. um, who are sort of committed to this work, committed to New Mexico, and frankly, committed to, uh, uh, to the idea that the people of this state deserve better than what they're getting. Um, so, I mean, there's a balance in those two things. I have coffee and outrage for breakfast every day. Um, but I'm able to share that with other people who believe in uh, what it is we're doing here. So I, th I think that's how you balance it. And also just acceptance of the fact that I'm gonna die young. I think, and every time they say no about something or give themselves an extension, you're like, you might have been a little bit interested, but as soon as they say no, you're like, oh yeah, there's something really good there now. And just keep, but like, I, I feel like um, for me, I've had a lot more public employees coming to me saying either, hey, you should look over here, <laughs> or like, the, I'm not, I won't say what agency this human being was from, but last weekend, uh, somebody at a state agency who I've had a pretty um, combative relationship with reporting on for a long time, came up to me and gave me a hug and said, I can't talk to you, but keep doing what you're doing. And I was just like, yeah! <laughs> well, that's all very hopeful. I think part of the problem here has got to be that this stuff goes way back. I mean, the corruption has got, like, you read, you read stories about, like, Cricket Coogler in the 50s, you know, turning up dead, and it's, oh, she was having an affair with a congressperson, and wonder what's, in, what's that about, you know? It's, well, it's really great that everyone is outraged about Donald Trump today. Um, and, you know, I had to sort of 
check myself to say, like, why weren't you outraged three years ago when <laughs> Joey was getting blacklisted by the governor? You know, so I think that that has been going on for a long time. Bill Richardson did some of the similar kind of games by, like, not inviting people to press conferences if they made him angry. You know, this is not new. I don't know if you can say this, but is there, like, a region or a town or an agency that you hate reporting on the most? No, but I can tell you who the worst offenders are. Um, the state of New Mexico broadly at this time and the city of Albuquerque, um, and, and really the sort of the delicious irony of that is that both the current governor and the current mayor of Albuquerque both ran on platforms that included the phrase most transparent administration in city or state history, depending on what it was. And I mean, that is... That is frankly absurd for either of them to uh, to claim that. I mean, the, the level of opacity and secrecy at both the state and city of Albuquerque level at this time um, are, are it's worse than it has ever been. I'm not saying that this isn't a trend that's been going on for a good little while now, but we're in a place right now where I mean, I on my keyboard I should just have a hotkey where I press something that says so-and-so did not respond to multiple requests for comment, and just fill in the name later, because that's just a phrase that appears in damn near every story I write. Even the um, times when the, the outlets that they do respond to, the city or the state, the bigger outlets, like the journal, it's usually an emailed, prepared statement in response. And so yeah, when we talk about responsiveness, I think we should talk about adequate forms of responsiveness because uh, writing and you know asking for the questions in email and writing an answer allows them to you know really kind of put their whole agenda in it without being asked any follow-up questions and so I think even the um, yeah even the outlets that they are responding to more aren't getting a fair shake here and that's important too uh, even I, I was once doing a story on this and I called up like the PR people do have a, a professional society, like kind of like SPJ for PR. And even they were saying like always emailing an answer back is inauthentic. So it doesn't even meet their standards. How do you, um, do you, do you gauge the public awareness of this? Is, I mean, are, are people outraged in, uh, out, in, out in society? Or is this uh, something that's kind of going unnoticed in our... Uh... Who wants to take that one? I think that journalists were always outraged um, and occasionally like we'll write an op-ed or an open letter or report a news story about a particularly egregious example, but it does not seem to really be an issue that the public appears to care that much about, which just like makes me want to grab people by the ears and shake their heads and be like, this is about you. Like this isn't about journalists just whining about a lack of access. When we can't present that information to the public, like you're losing out and you make crappier decisions in your community because you don't have all the information. And the like kind of one of the things that worries me is Julianne mentioned like this didn't start with this didn't start in the Martinez administration. There were problems with Richardson. I'm sure there were problems in the past. And I don't want anyone who's running for governor next or for AG or for mayor to think, 
oh, this is just the way how, this is just how things are done now and we're just gonna keep doing it this way because I think politicians love to talk about transparency, mm -hmm. but they're not super keen on practicing it. So it makes me, I, like, I, I do genuinely worry about the next administration, whether it's a Democrat or a Republican, that I don't know that it's gonna get a whole lot better. So listening public, you should care. That's, I, I think, the key question I want to ask, what does the listening public, who cares, what do they do? How can they engage with this issue? Support journalism. It's How pretty, so? Um, there are, um, so the Santa Fe Reporter is free, our website and our newspaper are free, but a lot of, um, you know, the daily and weekly newspapers are now charging subscriptions for their website. You should pay those. You should not try to figure out how to get around it by using a fake email address. Just support the journalists. Um, I think there are also a number of foundations. There's the New Mexico Political Report, which has its tip jar out there. Um, there's a, a couple of other, you know, nonprofit Endeavors. There's a brand new one coming down the line um, that I think people can support. You can put your money where your mouth is and value journalism. I, I think it's important also that there's just no question in my mind that access to public information and public records and government transparency more broadly should be political issues that uh, are decided at the ballot box. And I think it's in, in addition to supporting journalism, which I very much hope everyone listening, listening to this does in the ways that Julianne was just describing, people, it, I think there's a war of ideas that can be won in all of this. And it's, it's a really, it, and maybe some of it's on us that we haven't messaged this quite the right way to people, that ultimately those records that we're fighting for to tell these stories, they belong to the people. Um, right, so the first sentence in the Inspection of Public Records Act in New Mexico talks about this notion that the law, that law exists to give the citizens of this state the maximum access possible to the functions of their government. So it, it's, it's a matter, I think, to some degree of, of ownership for citizens to understand why this particular issue is important. If you really want to have a better say about who you're electing and what the policies are, you have to have the maximum amount of information possible in order to be more informed as a citizen. So I, I don't know how you uh, drag people away from the various things that distract them in their lives and convince them that these are important issues, but it really, to me, um, it, it, it's about ownership of uh, the place that we all live. I think one really concrete thing that audience members could do is if you read a story or hear a story on KUNM and there is that sentence, like Jeff mentioned, you know, blah de blah, did not respond, you know, Google that public official and call them up, start writing them letters, stand up at a public forum and be like, hey, I read in this newspaper that you didn't comment on this issue and you didn't comment on this one. Stand up and ask them questions. Like, if they're not gonna talk to journalists, citizens should ask those questions too. That's great. Get on Twitter at least, if nothing else, and bug them on there, yeah. You know, I'm glad you mentioned social media because I was thinking another thing that people can do is um, when you have journalists um, and outlets that you respect their work and you find it useful, share it on your personal social media. We're getting more traffic on our journalism websites from social than any other source, and we are getting that because our readers care enough to share it with their friends. So you can do that too. Awesome. 
I, I thought Joey was about to say <laughs> well, I was going to, kind of following up on what Laura was saying, you know, these folks uh, that are spokespeople, their title, their official title is public information officer, which means that it shouldn't be just reporters that they respond to, but everybody in the public who asks. Um, and I think they see it, you know, a lot more narrowly here that, here, that it's just journalists that they're calling back or emailing when they decide to. But yeah, for people who are um, interested and have time, they should try to test these officials. Um, and they make lots of money, at least for state employees. Uh, they make, you know, I see between 60, sometimes $100,000 uh, to be PIOs. Uh, and I, yeah, and I think because people are busy a lot, they don't, they're not tested as much from the public. Yeah, I wonder how much the public is aware, because I read about that UNM Foundation story, you know, a journalist is suing to make that more transparent, and I work at UNM, and I was like, oh, I didn't even know, you know, the UNM Foundation wasn't transparent, and I just wonder how much people are aware of in general. These are hard stories. Um, I mean, I'll say that, that I, I'm sitting next to one of the editors in the state who has been the most willing to let us write these stories. They're hard stories to write in a way that it doesn't look like it's just us whining about access. So they're, they're, it's, a, it's a challenge to tell a public record story in a way that's meaningful in people's lives. And, and that is a trope that I think exists too much in New Mexico journalism. I can't tell you how many editors in the past have told me, sorry, nobody wants to hear your bullshit about how you've um, you know, uh, been, been thwarted in your efforts to get public records. So I, I, some of that is on editors um, to, to understand that this is an important issue and to trust journalists to tell those stories in a way that matter to people. Um, but it is, there's a tricky balance uh, in there somewhere where it, it's not just journalistic navel-gazing, it's about the things that um, my three colleagues up here have been uh, describing previously. Um, okay. uh, well, uh, let's see, I wanna thank you guys for coming out tonight. Do you have any uh, kind of final thoughts that you wanna leave us with um, as we wrap up? No? Have a great sunshine week. Okay, well thank you guys so much. I, I do feel that these are incredibly important issues and I really appreciate you coming out today and, and talking to us so thank you once again thank you. thanks thank you, thank you.